0: Goodbye! Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God! Davis is going run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the
1: 20. All the is out on the field. He's going to go into the end.
0: Four-man Alabama rush.
1: Got him. Oh, no, they didn't Oh, my
0: gracious. Yep. Yeah.
1: Survive and advance Saturday all around the country as a number of top playoff contenders gave us quite a scare. In fact, in some cases like Tennessee's, which we're going to talk about, it was an utter bloodbath. Uh, So much to break down from week 12 around college football. Welcome into the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason, along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. And, and fellas, yesterday was wild, because at one point, it looked like potentially three playoff seeds, I guess all four current playoff seeds had scares, and we'll talk about all of those games in their own time, but uh, what were you guys rooting for just utter chaos to break out? Like, Can you imagine a world where two, three, or even four of the playoff seeds all go down in the same day?
2: I can't imagine that world. I don't think we've ever seen that happen in the history of these playoff rankings. I would have loved to see it happen. I would have loved to see at least one or two stumble, but you know, we, we got really good games when we weren't expecting them and we got some entertaining situations that sparked a lot of debate that I know you're going to talk about here in a second, Mitch uh, about expanded playoff in the future. So yeah, I was really excited. It's always the quiet weeks that you never really think are going to be, uh, a lot of where there's not a lot of big things happening on paper that always just jump up and get you and we almost had just complete utter chaos and i was rooting for that
0: you yeah, know we almost had that one through four that could have all gone down i mean all of those games were in spots at the very end of the game where you know the, the if one thing goes the wrong way or the the funny shape ball bounces the wrong way you know we're we're talking about a, a serious problem for you know, all these top rated teams, and especially in TCU's case, oh my gosh, that could have gone very poorly at the end of that game. And so, you know, I just, I think it's it's good for you to be able to survive in advance. It's good for people to be able to, you know, kind of, you know, t- take what they're being given and make the best of their opportunities. But still, at the end of the day, yeesh, pretty rough showing for some of these. We were pretty close to, I don't know, based on the playoff rankings and everything else, could we have had a top seeded two loss LSU if all these top four teams ended up losing? I mean, I, I don't want to think about that option, but,
2: you know, we were pretty close to it, so. It would have been fascinating to see what the committee did if all four of those teams went down, because do Seriously. you just not shuffle the deck? Do you just say, ah, well, everybody gets a mulligan now. Well, oh, but LSU
0: and USC both win.
2: Yeah, I mean.
0: Is yeah, USC it,
2: your number one seed? We It would have been fascinating to see how they handled that. Shades of, uh, I can't remember the year, but there's a year that Oklahoma lost... In the Big 12 championship game, it was in the BCS era, and they still ended up number one in the BCS rankings because Gosh. a whole bunch of teams behind them lost, and everybody was just like, "Ah, oh, okay." Those well, computers
0: were so broken too. We'll
2: just, yeah, we'll we'll just uh, we'll just pretend that week never happened, swipe that under <laughs> the rug, and we'll move on.
1: Well, I feel like still we have a lot of people especially in the Gaylord Texan now that pretend that things happen and don't happen but uh, that is true oh there's there's faces and names behind those now not a computer system but uh before we get into our topic of the day and uh, a boatload of recapping to get done obviously head on over to at three tech pod on Instagram and Twitter to find us, interact with us on a daily basis. We continue to accrue followers, gaining new people into the family, uh, as well as heading over to YouTube, which if you are watching this on YouTube and notice that I don't have a face for this one, uh, camera <laughs> difficulties. So our apologies, uh, but still head on over to YouTube. Tell you what, Garrett, you've headed up that project and our account popped off over this weekend. We have started breaking down our segments specifically around rivalry games here lately, and Baylor TCU went off, a couple others got a, a ton of interaction. It's been really cool to, to see fans comment and, and even debate us on a couple of these topics.
0: No, it's been great, yeah, and you guys who showed up for this TCU Baylor video was awesome. Also, the Oregon-Utah video got a bunch of traction too, so really cool kind of getting to talk with both of y'all fan bases and you know, see that you guys appreciate the content and, you know, for for TCU at the very least, we're going to be talking about y'all in the preview for next time. So hope to see you in the next one as we finish out this season and hopefully go 12 and 0. But man, after this scare, I think you're just glad to get out of Waco.
1: Yeah, no kidding. That was incredibly close. We're going to talk about that, I think, second here. Uh, we'll, We'll lead off with USC, UCLA in the recap. But question of the day, and I want you guys to weigh in on this. As I sat back and looked at what happened around the country yesterday, I started to wonder, okay, obviously there are two camps in the pro-expansion playoff era. There are those that would uh, even shrink what we have right now, that they feel like four is too many teams. So did yesterday frustrate the pro-playoff crowd or the anti-expansion crowd more? And what I mean by that is a whole bunch of teams had entirely unimpressive sundays including the top team in the country uh and and so from that perspective i'd love to start the debate there maybe trey if you want to lead us off pro crowd more frustrated anti-expansion crowd more frustrated who do you have
2: i don't know who's more frustrated i just know that both sides are being equally very annoying after this weekend because look 12 team playoff is the future and you can get on board with that or you can pretend that you're never going to watch college football again when it goes to that we know that you're not going to give up college football so just stop grandstanding stop you know making this big argument it's happening and for the 12 teamers like you can acknowledge that there are some deficiencies to that model there is going to be a little bit of drama lost on the regular season now now I think it, the drama does, isn't necessarily lost. It's just kind of shifted away from the teams that we always focus on. Because is Bama still going to make a playoff this year in a very down year for them in a 12-team model? Absolutely they are. And that's you know probably a bug in the system to most people. But are we going to get some new blood? Are we going to get some teams that have a shot to knock off Bama maybe on their home field in a, team, in a year that Bama's down? Maybe that's the biggest win in their program's history. Yeah, absolutely. We are. So it's gonna, you know, you can make a legit case that uh, more than four teams are needed this year. I think because there's just not that one dominant team An expanded playoff is going to take some drama. Not all the stakes. Like we still have seating. We still have home field. We still have a lot of things that need to be cited on these big games. Like the Tennessee South Carolina game yesterday probably would have cost a home game in Knoxville. Um, if we're looking at all things being equal. So there's a lot of stakes still out there and it exponentially increases the stakes on a game like Utah, Oregon, Utah's probably out of a 12 team playoff now. And all eyes could have been on that game, seeing if Utah or the PAC 12 is going to get multiple teams in this year. So it just shifts the stakes around a little bit. We get more interesting games, I think in December versus uh, more interesting games in, you know, maybe October and November, but whatever that might be, Both sides are being a little bit annoying this year. And the bottom line is, this playoff expansion, it's really being done for three reasons. Number one is money. Number two is representation. And number three is the one year every so often we have a situation where a legit case can be made for more than four teams. This playoff expansion is not done for any one year in a vacuum. If you're looking at it in one year, of course you're going to think it's a bad idea because most years there's a clear elite team. This year there's not. But most year, there's a clear elite team that kind of makes this even a four-team playoff a moot point.
0: Right, and when you have those years with the elite team, it doesn't matter anyways, right? So I, what I wrote down is I think the pro playoff crowd should be the more frustrated group just because – or the pro expansionist crowd, right? They should be the more frustrated group because, I mean, look, all that this has proven is that there's really not a great team this year and that, you know, in any part of, you know – The the pro expansionist has to say, well, yeah, like there's maybe one or two teams that actually deserve to be playing this game, you know, but even then we don't have the one elite team like the last couple years, right? Maybe we've just been spoiled with some great football, you know, 21 Georgia, 20 Bama, 19 LSU, like those teams have been just dominant, right? But even in that case, you can still kind of make the argument that even in a four team playoff, it didn't really matter. We were just, you know, you know, crossing our T's, dotting our I's until the best team got a chance to do their thing in the national championship game. And, you know, none of those games were particularly close down to the wire. You know, I think the Georgia-Bama game was the closest. It was still a two-score game. So, you know, I I think, you know, the pro-expansionist crowd has to be a little bit frustrated right now, um, just because I think you saw, well, yeah, there's some of these teams that, you know, they, they really blew their chance, right? The Tennessee game, right? They blew their chance to show that they were one of those top teams that really deserved to be there right and you had you know several others that you know like seriously struggled and so you know i think that if you're looking at this yeah you might want more teams in that case but what we're really arguing over is that we have more teams that really aren't all that good that someone gets to win by default in this case right someone's gonna win this year who is not nearly as you know definitively dominant as the last you know three maybe five years of college football so you know I don't think that that's a pro or a con necessarily for changing the system or not. But at the same time, if you're going to be in one of those camps, I think the pro
2: expansion group has to be a little bit more frustrated today. And as we see NIL expand and the transfer portal expand, those are other realities that aren't going away. I'm a firm believer that we're going to see more talent uh, dispersion across college football. You're going to see more guys. We're certainly seeing it at college basketball. If you follow college basketball at all these early season Tournaments and things like that have just been crazy so far. Like a record number of mid majors are upsetting power conference teams because the talent is spreading around. And you know, basketball is obviously not an apples to apples apples to apples comparison with football, but the same principles are going to apply. If the talent is more evenly dispersed, even if it's just by a little bit, you're going to have a little bit more chance to have a year like this where there's just no definitive good team. If you're telling me, you know. Georgia stubs their toe yesterday, and that game certainly could have gone the other way. I know it looked like Georgia was in control for most of it, but you know the ball bounces a different way a couple times. Kentucky could also win that game. You're telling me then they have to go into an opposing team stadium possibly or host a really uh, solid, fast-rising team at the end of the year? They might lose that first-round playoff game. So getting these top 12 teams to play each other at the end of the year Just seems like a no brainer, but I digress. We're focusing on 2022 and that 14 playoff race is going to be fascinating to follow as
0: well. Well, and Trey, to your point, you're talking about earlier with the drama being taken out of some of these games. It's not going to be drama-less games. You're still talking about seeding. You're talking – first-round buys are not a small thing, right? We're talking this week like, oh, if you had that expanded playoff, who cares who wins the Ohio State-Michigan game? Like, that's really going to be a question. What do you mean? Everybody that's a fan of those two teams cares about who wins those games. Like, those are – that's a massive rivalry game. You're not going to take the special thing out of college football Just because you have more playoff spots on the line, if anything, it just gives you more drama over seeding and maybe it gives it a, well, they won the regular season matchup. So let's see if they can get their revenge in the playoff. Those are always really fun, too. So I think it just adds an element instead of taking something away. Now, yeah, it might take, you know, some of the massive stakes out of that because, you know, obviously Ohio State Michigan is a playoff game this week but you're going to have them both in the playoff in the future and and then they get to play their playoff games later. So I don't know. I just, I don't think it really changes that much as far as the now goes. And I think it adds a wrinkle. That's a lot more fun. Yeah. And the rivalry
2: aspect of it is just something that's never going to go away in college football. Like you said, all the people making the NFL light comparisons, go tell that to an Alabama fan next week when they're playing a hapless Auburn team. If you think that stadium won't be completely full and they, think that's the most important game of the year up to this point, then you're crazy. And they would think that even if it was a 13-0 and year where they're going to the national championship. So, yeah, yeah. There, there's just no comparison between college football and the NFL. We're still going to have the stuff that makes college football great. We're taking some yeah. of the stakes away from these games, but not all of them. Like we, we're, There's still going to be stakes, and we're expanding the amount of games that have interest to what we've decided to focus our attention on.
1: That's the, that's the whole point of rivalry games, right, is no matter what the records are, they're still entertaining. Everyone likes to watch them because teams rise to the occasion, and when you play down against a rival, you get punished for it. So I agree. I think that argument uh, doesn't hold a lot of water. The other thing to think about with an expanded playoff that was maybe a little bit more disappointing yesterday as well for those of us who really like all conferences in college football is the group of five. Had a rough weekend, specifically with UCF losing. You know, Houston comes up and bludgeons East Carolina. Tulane runs away with their game over SMU, and then of course Coastal didn't get to play their game; it was canceled against the University of Virginia after the tragedy that happened there uh, this last weekend. So, you know, for UCF to lose to to Navy now that throws their claim uh, at the Cotton Bowl. Into a lot more doubt, it feels like Tulane and maybe Cincinnati are going to have the real chance at that, that we'll see what happens with Coastal and their schedule, how they get ranked and all of this. But anyway, I, I just think there's a, a lot of things to consider here for the expanded playoff and why I think you might be frustrated about it right now, but certainly not a case to uh, you know, stay at four or even shrink it past that. So anyway, let us know your thoughts at 3TechPod, Twitter, Instagram, DM us. Make your voice be heard. We'd love to hear which side of the fence you're on. Guys, let's go ahead and jump into the headlines, the recaps from yesterday. I think, without a doubt, the top game to watch yesterday, regardless of postseason implications or not. And thankfully, it did have playoff implications on the line. USC 48, UCLA 45. Guys, this was an offensive shootout. Defense was certainly optional you had two very talented quarterbacks going against each other in Caleb Williams, Dorian Thompson, Robinson. And for this game at one point before USC had to punt late in the fourth quarter, you had had 16 straight drives without a punt, uh, three interceptions for UCLA ultimately doomed them. But boy, this was a ton of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, this was seriously one of the best games that I think we'll have all season did not disappoint. Absolutely lived up to the billing. You know, going just kind of towards the end of it, obviously back and forth the whole game. You had that huge interception on the last drive uh, for USC. I went into that last drive, you know, US or UCLA had just stopped the Trojans, just made like a huge play. I think it was that big sack, um, which, which stopped their drive and stopped them from being able to go ahead and put it out of arm's reach. And then, you know, DTR gets the ball back. And I actually said out loud, yep, there you go. USC defense just needed to make one play to keep it alive. Couldn't do it. Right. I'd said that the whole game, I was like, just waiting for front to make a play. You had that massive, you know, long touchdown to respond. I think it was like earlier in the fourth quarter, you had that 75 yarder and then they ran back down and scored again. And so, you know, I'm just sitting here like, man, USC defense just need to make one more play. Just need to make one more play. Couldn't do it. Going to go ahead and ruin their season. So if you're a UCLA fan, you can go ahead and blame me for jinxing it. I'm so sorry for you. Uh, <laughs> I am definitely a blame here. First off, just epic game to watch. If you love football, that was just good football. Um, DTR absolutely left everything he had on the field. He had like that taped up bleeding, throwing hand with jammed fingers and everything else. Just still made plays, went out there, did what he had to do. But at the end of the day, USC, they just made that one extra play on defense. That was all they needed. Caleb Williams is kind of quietly, I feel like we haven't talked about him a whole lot on this podcast. I haven't heard a whole lot about him anyways. He's been quietly having a remarkable season and has put himself in a fantastic position to win the Heisman with a huge game at the end of the season. Obviously, they got Notre Dame and then probably Oregon to finish off the season. If he can go win those two and put up big numbers doing it, I think you have to love his chances of winning the Heisman Trophy, despite the fact that he's you know kind of a, an afterthought on the West Coast. I know that we don't think about the Pac-12 teams as much as we probably should, just as a college football landscape. Don't want to go ahead and overlook Austin Jones here. Austin Jones is amazing. 21 carries, 121 yards and two touchdowns. He was also pretty effective in the past game as well. Uh, Jordan Addison absolutely made the right decision for himself to transfer to Pitt. He got to show out on a huge stage in front of everybody else. 11 catches, 178 yards, a touchdown. He was borderline uncoverable on a lot of those little one-on-one situations. He had several clutch completions to extend drives, You know, convert first downs. Big deal for him. I think I'm still looking for that Heisman moment from Caleb Williams, though, if he is going to win the trophy. I still feel like we haven't quite gotten that moment where he took it all on his shoulders and made it happen. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong about this one. Obviously, he was fantastic last night. But there is always that one moment where you say, "Okay, he just won it. I still feel like we're looking for that. Probably gets it against Notre Dame uh, if it's going to happen. USC should be ready to take a playoff spot if they can finish with one loss. I think obviously their their record would dictate it, the resume would dictate it if they can finish with one loss and the conference championship with these late, you know, big games that are gonna be, you know, ranked teams, ranked wins going into it. If they can finish this with one loss, I think they'll have as much momentum as anyone in the country and will have a very impressive resume that should be deserving of a playoff spot. In my opinion, they should be number five this week just because why my biggest issue with the playoff a lot of times is why are we putting pretense around stuff? Just call them number five. They are the next chance team to get in after, you know, the Ohio state, Michigan loser drops, it should be USC next. And that's all you need to know, right? That's all that really needs to be said. And then if somebody else drops out, it should be, you know, a conversation about maybe an LSU or a one loss Michigan, Ohio state or something like that. So I think they should be number five. They're in a great position to make the playoff. Um, And I think we should just go ahead and stick them there. But all that being said, great job from USC to go ahead and pull this one off. Very happy with the way they played. And it was
2: just a really fun game to watch. And, you know, regardless of how these last two games go, personally, I just think you have to tip your cap to Lincoln Riley for this season that he's put together at USC. I think our biggest red flag going into this season, I know you talked about it, Garrett, in previous seasons, this was a four and eight football team last year. And talent was not the issue it was 100 percent a culture problem and lincoln riley for him i know he brought in a ton of talent from the transfer portal but like i said talent has never been a problem for usc and it was a hundred percent a culture issue and just a lack of identity under clay helton that was really doing them in and i mean in year one to be on the cusp of a playoff berth and on the cusp of a pac-12 championship it seems like you know the worst case scenario for USC this year is a New Year Six Bowl, right? And th- to be saying that in November, as we're about to turn the calendar to December, is just an awesome, awesome story for Lincoln Riley. I know the Sooner fans don't want to hear that, but personally, it's just always impressive for me to see someone do it at the highest level at two different schools. Uh, you know, you have your you have your engine running at Oklahoma. You change to a completely different environment, albeit has a lot of advantages, but you, you, you still have that you've restarted a power program and I think just hats off to Lincoln Riley for the job he's done in year one now there's so much still on the table they have the opportunity to maybe have the best resume in college football if they can finish these next two weeks because I don't know if y'all saw I know AP poll means nothing but Notre Dame's all the way up to number 13 in the latest AP poll and Oregon is still hovering in the top 10 so if you win those two games. With all the stakes that are on the line, that is an impressive resume that's going to rival anybody in college football. I don't see how you keep that out. And Caleb Williams and this offense have just been absolutely exciting. Now, the defense is definitely going to keep them from their full ceiling. right? I don't think they can win a national championship with that defense. We've said that about Lincoln-Riley teams before, obviously. But, yeah, it, it's just a really exciting team to watch. And last night, they weren't playing a pushover offense. They were playing a UCLA offense that's one of the best in the country. And the defense stepped up and made plays when they needed to to seal that game. So I'm impressed by that effort as well. You, you shouted him out already, Garrett, but the unsung hero of this one is absolutely Austin Jones with uh, Travis Dye going down. This is his first game in the feature role in a rivalry game with the whole nation watching. And all he does is go for 120 yards and two touchdowns on 21 carries. By far his career high. So, yeah, just a great all-around showing by the offense and the defense did just enough.
1: That offense is, without a doubt, one of the best in the country. I'm glad that you threw in the reality check with their defense because, listen, Alex Grinch, I I still maintain that he is (laughs) going to hold a program back because his defenses have just never been that impressive. But a long way to go for that defense. They've won games almost in spite of it a number of times this season. It's it's shown up in in several games. I think the Fresno State game, they absolutely balled out. They took Jake Hayner out of that game early but the offense has gotten it done and yeah it's thanks in part to guys like Austin Jones obviously a talented wide receiver core as well and you know ultimately they were their defense did get enough plays to win that three interceptions is nothing to shrug your shoulders at but Trey like you said I agree I, I don't think USC can be your national champion because when they the offense does get stopped I don't think the defense can return the favor consistently
0: I'm going to actually kind of push on that one. I totally believe that up until last night. And maybe I'm just getting caught up in the emotion of the game or something like that. But we've said similar things about teams like Ohio State and TCU not necessarily playing the best defense all the time, but just having an opportune defense. If that's all that USC can muster, I do believe this offense is good enough to win a national championship. And I know that that might sound crazy and all that, but especially this year when we just got done talking about some of these teams are pretty suspect right? Like, I don't think Georgia's the same team they were. If you have Caleb Williams come out here and he puts up, you know, maybe 14 in the first quarter against a Georgia team, I don't know that they can come back on that. I think that they'll be able to, to, you know, keep pushing the tempo, keep pushing that, go find yourself 28 points. That might be too much for Georgia to, to hang with as bad as their offenses looked at the end of this season. And additionally, like there's issues with obviously like TCU not putting away Baylor yesterday. Both Michigan and Ohio State not handling their business either against, you know, inferior competition. But, you know, I I, I do think the defense is a problem. And if they don't make it, that's going to be your issue. That being said, up until last night, there was just something about watching that game where I was like, man, this offense is just unstoppable. They're just on another level. You think that you have the play made. I, I kept getting frustrated because UCLA would they would make a great play. They would contain him and then they'd flush him from the pocket. And then all of a sudden, Caleb Williams is out there just finding a guy down the field or making a good decision to, you know, tuck it and run with it or something like that. And I just, I was extremely impressed with the way that their offense plays. So I think that they're the kind of offense that even if you play really good disciplined defense, they can still beat you in so many ways. And I think I'm ready to say for them that they're similar to some of these other top teams where, yeah, if you just have a defense who can step up and make that one play just get that one interception get that one sack to stall a drive if you can just do that i think that they're good enough to win a national championship especially this year
1: i'm i'm hoping for competition's sake and i hate to root against the beavers because we've been on the jonathan smith bandwagon all year but i'm hoping oregon can win whatever they're calling their rivalry nowadays to be politically correct the platypus cup is that right um i'm hoping oregon can win that game because I want to see Oregon USC. I want to see another explosive offense go against USC's defense, because I think that would give us the best game. But I also think it would provide USC the perfect resume finisher, right? To be battle tested, to head into a playoff, and to give us a really, really entertaining postseason. That's my hope anyway.
2: Yeah, and that Notre Dame game this week, I mean, we've seen them shut down really good offenses this year. We've Mm -hmm. seen them play above their heads on defense too it's going to be the best defense that usc has played so far this year so i'm really excited to see that matchup as well
1: all right well so let's wrap up uh the disappointing performances yesterday maybe into a couple of different segments here right so tcu 29 baylor 28 tcu needs a last second run the team out there field goal so too does michigan they beat Illinois 19-17. Both games had a lot of similarities where the team that was favored off to a very slow start out of the gate, trailed for much of that game and had to come from behind late on a final drive from Michigan. They converted multiple fourth downs. I was listening to the Michigan radio call driving back from uh, golf that morning, and you could hear the the tightness in their voice. You could hear the, oh my goodness, the season kind of ends if we lose this and Trey, you know, I kept thinking back to what you were saying in the preview that this game didn't matter. Obviously you didn't mean that, Hey, they can afford to lose this game necessarily, but, uh, that's almost what it felt like going into that fourth quarter, that last few drives. It was like, oh, maybe Michigan really did come into this game. Like, Oh yeah, it doesn't really matter. Our one game season truly is just next week. But as we've seen with USC, as we were seeing, with North Carolina before they lost yesterday. I guess we'll touch on that in a little bit. One-loss teams, you're not necessarily automatically in. With a two-loss LSU team that's putting together one of the best resumes in college football, I think it's lucky that Michigan pulled that iron out of the fire. I'll let you guys take it whichever direction you'd like to, whether it's Michigan, Illinois, Baylor, TCU. I know we've got thoughts uh, thoughts on both of them.
2: I'll start with Michigan because... I think that scenario played out exactly like I was expecting it to, and I can't get to say that a lot, so I'm going to start with Michigan, but personally, I do think that that game ultimately, would would it put a sour taste in their mouth going into OSU and probably hurt their chances to beat Ohio State? Yeah, if they would have lost to Illinois, I don't think that they're going to be very confident heading into their game against the Buckeyes, but... I think a one-loss Big Ten champion gets in, whether that loss is to Ohio State or whether it's to Illinois or whether it's to Michigan State like it was last year for the Wolverines. So, you know, it it was a close but definitely not fun game. Uh, just just a really ugly Big Ten-style game of football where a lot of the action is three yards in a cloud of dust. Michigan really, I think, kind of lulled themselves to sleep in the first half, uh, even though they only had a 7-3 to three lead scored really early and then just kind of put it in cruise control until the fourth quarter when they really finally turned it on. But you know Blake Quorum going down definitely didn't help. I know that probably took a a big big uh deflating blow to that sideline as we usually see um happening with these things but yeah I, I think they lost themselves some margin for error if there is that true chaos scenario where LSU jumps in or USC loses and Clemson loses. And there's that real chaos scenario where we're looking for a fourth team. I think Michigan did lose a little bit of margin for error. But as we have been saying all year, if you stay undefeated, if you run the table, it's kind of no harm, no foul until it is. isn't. So probably lost a little margin of error, but I think they'll be okay.
0: Yeah. And just to talk about this game, this game was entirely Michigan style of football. But the problem is they went off script by Blake Corum getting hurt right? Corum had a whole bunch of yards before he went down. They were just a little bit ahead going towards the half. And then that the, the injury goes down. He tried it a little bit in the third quarter. He came out for the first drive. I think he might've even carried the ball for like six yards or something like that. And then just said, Nope, can't do it. And so I think he'll be healthy. Now, will he be a hundred percent? We got to wait and see for Michigan's sake. I hope that he's a hundred percent so we can actually get a really good game next week and that we don't have to wonder maybe what could have been if we had a healthy Blake Corum. So We'll have to wait and see on that one. I do think, and I want to go ahead and give Harbaugh a lot of credit here. Trey, you kind of mentioned it. I think he knew that losing this game was less important than losing Blake Corum. And yeah. I think that he realized that that was the move he had to make. I think he said, yeah, Blake Corum could play. I mean, he clearly could play. He was able to go back out there. He was able to walk on his you know, hurt foot. He was able to play. Um, I think he realized that it doesn't matter because if I beat Ohio state and I win the big 10, one loss isn't going to keep me out with that good of a resume. And so I think he realized that and just decided we're going to pull the plug on it. We're going to try to get through this because I need my best player next week. And I think that Harbaugh made the right call. It was a gutsy call, but I think he made the right call. So great job to him. Just in terms of managing his roster and getting that thing, right. You have to give Michigan's defense a lot of credit down the stretch I think Michigan had to pull three different field goal drives to end up taking the lead in this game after they went down 17 10. And that Michigan defense stood tall, did what they had to do, and gave the offense a chance each time. If Michigan's missing guys next week, that's going to be a really rough way to end what's been a really cool season so far. I'm hoping that they can get their guys back. They're missing, I think, their backup running back as well. And I think they're missing a receiver. I couldn't, I can't remember exactly who is out, but they're missing a bunch of guys. So, they need to get healthy fast. Fortunately for them, Ohio State kind of slipped up, too. So, you know, we're we're going to kind of get both teams not necessarily feeling as good as they should be feeling going into this game. So we'll see what happens. I'm really excited for this next week. But, yeah, Michigan's got to get healthy quick.
2: Before we move on to TCU, where are we at on J.J. McCarthy? Because I think that was my biggest concern coming out of this game for Michigan is that he – had to shoulder the burden, and while, you know, you're right, he led three field goal drives. He he led them down the field three times to get into field goal range. He didn't necessarily inspire a ton of confidence to my eyes. So wh- where are you guys at on J.J. McCarthy?
0: What I'll say on McCarthy is this. So, He's been inconsistent this year. That's been a big reason why they haven't necessarily put up some of the massive offensive numbers you've seen out of some of these other top teams is just because they're not able to finish drives. A lot of times they'll end up settling for field goals towards the end of their drives. Um, And obviously they do lean on the run game, and that helps when you have one of the best running backs in the country. Um, That being said, he's going to have to be better down the stretch if they have championship ambitions, Um, even conference championship ambitions. If they want to win that, I think he's got to be a lot better. He's flashed. Um, but at the same time, I think, I think he's still struggling from the fact that, and this is maybe controversial too. I don't think Michigan has those guys outside that can really get the separation to help him out. They have really good wide receivers, but it seems like they're all just kind of possession guys. And none of them really scare me, right? None of them really scare me as like, Oh, that guy's a deep threat. He'll get loose. He'll get behind a defense. He'll really make a play. None of those guys really scare me. They're all really good receivers. It's not to take anything away from them, but I just think a combination of sort of youth plus not having the the elite guys plus having some of your best players out, I think that kind of changed up the script for him. Now, what I like about it is if you're not going to have Blake Corum, you probably know that right now, and he's able to practice knowing he has to be the guy all week. And so that probably helps him out a little bit, kind of change up the game script. Uh, but yeah, I just I think he's got to be a lot better Um, And it's a really interesting decision for Harbaugh on how to manage this situation.
1: Michigan is built so much differently. They're they're almost the exact counter to Ohio State, right? Ohio State has the fast, flashy receivers who can go down deep. They can make the circus-style catches. Michigan does not have that, and they haven't had that in a long time. Their receiving core is never flashy. It's never sexy. It's always big, tall, possession wide receivers like Garrett said that ultimately you can throw the deep ball against lesser competition. It's possession style ball consistently moving the chains against the better competition. And I think that's been part of what's held Michigan back on the biggest stage is they don't have that deep threat that can break the game that can stretch the field. So yeah, losing Blake Coram would be an absolute uh, setback. No doubt about it. You're right. Maybe JJ McCarthy gets an extra week of changing the game plan. I don't believe in him as a downfield passer just because I don't think you can just turn that on. I think he is what he is. He's a, a very good quarterback. He's a very good game manager and, and and excellent at doing what Michigan is asking him to do. He takes Plus, care of the
2: football really well, he, too. Doesn't he doesn't turn it over.
1: He takes care of the football. He's got some mobility with his legs. But I do think if Blake Corum, which is plan A, B, and C for Michigan – if he's out or limited against Ohio State, you know we talked about this, Trey, I guess a couple of episodes ago when it was just me and you. I picked Michigan back then saying if you if you took both of these teams all else being equal, give me the team that can run the ball consistently and take air out of it. Now, if you're telling me that's not a given, maybe the pendulum's swinging back to Ohio State for me,
2: yeah, and both these teams are built to beat each other, like you look at a situation yesterday where if Michigan felt like they had a more formidable foe on the field, I know Illinois has had a solid season, but if Michigan felt that they were in severe danger of their season going down the drain, like you said, Garrett, Blake Corm's probably playing in that game. So yeah, they're they're built to beat each other. It's going to be fascinating to see which style wins out. And I hope we get to see a fully operational Michigan. What I will
0: say, regardless of how Michigan play, and we can obviously say more of this, but regardless of how well they can play on offense, After what I've seen out of Ohio State this year, I think Michigan's defense has a real chance to shut them down and hold them to a really low scoring total. Again, and I think McCarthy's game style plays towards that. A couple season stats for you. He's completed 66% of his passes, hasn't gotten to the 2,000-yard mark yet, but he's got 14 touchdowns to two interceptions and a 150 rating. That's pretty good. He's playing pretty well. He's efficient with the ball. Like you guys are saying, game manager type guy. He's not going to make mistakes. And that's going to help when you have, you know, if you're missing a Blake Coram, if you're missing, you know, some of these players that they're counting on. If your defense is going to be able to stand up and play with Ohio State, not making mistakes, especially on the road, is going to be huge for you.
1: Talk to me about Baylor TCU. TCU goes on the road, they're getting slapped around early. By Baylor. The, the Bears jump out to a big lead. They slowly leak oil coming down the stretch, but even then, it took a Max Duggan effort to drive the Horn Frogs into field goal range. Great clock management by this TCU program. They're able to kick a 41 yard field goal. They trotted the field goal kicker out with 13 seconds left. He ends up putting toe to leather with four seconds left to nail the field goal as time expired. This is kind of same song, different verse for TCU, though they have trailed a lot and i'm not giving any sort of credence to what the playoff committee has thrown around <laughs> about them that is not careful, what i'm doing
2: careful how you phrase it
1: <laughs> but i will say well no i phrase it intentionally because while they have trailed a lot they continue to win these games i'm not i'm not questioning their playoff eligibility i am starting to question if they get throttled in in round 1 if if it's georgia if they somehow stay at number 4 or, Whether whoever the number two seed ends up being, I'm starting to question their ability to truly be an elite team because they continue to struggle and need big-time comebacks against very good teams. I think Kansas State is a very good team. Texas, obviously, they didn't need a comeback, but they, they just play close games. It's a different style, and eventually that coin lands on the other side.
0: I want to be completely fair to them. They were missing Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnson for a big part of this game, right? A substantial part of this game. Down the stretch, they're missing their two best players on offense. That's not to shade Max Duggan, but a lot of his production comes from the fact that he can hand the ball to Kendra Miller and, you know, throw it up for Quentin Johnson. So just to be clear, they're missing those guys down the stretch. Huge props to Tay Barber and Savion Williams coming in. Tay Barber had 108 receiving yards in this game, and a lot of that came after Quentin Johnson hopped out. So big props to them for stepping up and giving Duggan someone to throw to. I definitely underestimated how competitive the Bears were going to be in this rivalry game, and it was miserable weather too. So, you know, it, you'd still want to see them produce. You still want to see them do what they can do, but you know that those situations do tend to provide less, less, uh, less than ideal situations in a more competitive game than you might necessarily expect. So good job to Baylor for keeping it competitive in a situation where they were looking to get revenge for what TCU did to them last year. They'll you know, kind of flip the script. I still cannot believe they chose to run the ball on that last offensive play. I was losing my mind. As soon as they give that ball, I'm like, what are you doing? I actually started screaming at the television and then they trot the field goal team on. And I'm like, you're going to blow your chances at a playoff because you chose to run the ball Instead of just give your kicker a chance to get out there and set himself up. Trots out onto the field. Griffin Kell has ice in his veins. He was money with the game on the line, he had to run out there, set up, not do his little, take your steps back and scoot to the side. None of that stuff, just stand somewhere close to it. And he nailed that thing. So good job to him. Massive props to him. Just absolute assassin out there at the kicker spot. We don't talk enough about college kickers, you know, for as bad as college kickers can be sometimes and as bad as they can, you know, lose a game for you. Griffin Kell should get a huge chunk of praise for how this game ended up going for the Horn Frogs. So, Good job. Survive in advance. Want a much better showing next week if you want to feel good about
2: TCU's chances. Yeah, I watched that last sequence inside my local Trader Joe's. Not a sponsor could Woo! be. And <laughs> I probably made some people a little bit concerned with just the way that I was reacting <laughs> to that whole sequence. Because it, it was absolutely insane. You're right. I When they snapped the ball and ran it, I'm sure a lot of TCU fans had a lot of... Vietnam-style flashbacks to the Cowboys (laughs) game last January against the 49ers. Oh, my gosh. Holy cow, that was scary. But it worked out. And I kind of disagree with the narrative. Mitch, I'm not picking on you, but you're kind of trotting out the narrative that I've seen a lot of Tennessee fans, especially before they ultimately got dominated themselves last night they were kind of running with the narrative that TCU didn't belong in the discussion because they were getting dominated by Baylor. And when you watch that whole game, it was just kind of a defensive back and forth football game that TCU came out on top on. And TCU made some mistakes that really got magnified. Max Duggan threw an interception that I thought could have been called defensive pass interference. There were a couple 50-50 calls that didn't go TCU's way. And Baylor just really came to play. They had a great game plan in the first half. And I think we see this a lot of times with really good X's and O's coaches, they're going to come out and give these really good, uh, more, maybe not more talented in this case, but heavily favored teams, their best shot in the first quarter. And that's what Dave Rand and his staff absolutely did. Their first drive was 11 plays. It took five over almost six minutes off the clock, right off the bat and really put TCU on their heels, scoring a touchdown to go up seven, nothing. But TCU weathered that storm. They responded. And, and listen, good teams find multiple ways to win. And TCU has found ways to win when in a shootout. They've won defensive struggles. They've won games where they didn't play their best and they have injuries. So all this talk about TCU not being elite. If you are 11-0, you're an elite team. I'm sorry. You might not show it in the playoff against other elite teams because anything can happen. But if you're 11-0 in a power conference, you're elite. Yeah, like we're not talking about going eleven and zero in the Mountain West or in the Sun Belt or something like that. So I'm really impressed with what they've been able to put together so far, and I credit Baylor for really making this game play into their favor as much as possible. They, you mentioned Kendra Miller going down, but Baylor allowed just 115 yards on off, uh, rushing yards, uh, to TCU, and TCU wants to establish that run game and really uh use that as their backbone and they just weren't able to do it and that's because baylor played a really good defensive game plan so i'm impressed with baylor in this one i'm more impressed with tcu weathering that storm also fun note that i saw on social media after this one i can't remember if it was the first team in fbs history or just the big 12 but they are the first team to win seven games in a row by 10 points or less like wow they and are uh, cardiac frogs and that's just they a- are. <laughs>
1: the hypno toad has a flair for the dramatic. I, I'm certainly not questioning their legitimacy as a contender or their, their spot for the playoff. Like don't, don't hear that. I am wondering if very similar to other, you know, three, four seeds whatever they end up being seated that yes, they kept winning the games, but there were several, you know, there was, there was a trend that stood out where it's like, okay. Either they're off to a slow start. Typically for TCU, it's been a little bit of a slow start offensively, right? They fall down early, or they're, they're down at the half. They have to muster. They have to use the third, fourth quarter to put up multiple scores to overcome a deficit. My only point is you try and do that against a Michigan, an Ohio State, a Georgia, heck, even an LSU, if they're somehow able to get in, a USC. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. Could they? Absolutely. They've done it so far. They've passed every single test. So it maybe is it a little unfair for me to be reserving judgment? Absolutely. But then again, we also wondered if this team was even going to make a bowl game, right? So they've been doubted from the beginning. Uh, I'm I'm just, at this point, along for the ride. Certainly not rooting against them, just wondering, hey, does this team actually have what it's going to take to compete against a Georgia or a Big Ten champion or USC when all eyes are on at the highest stage of that program that they've ever been at
0: see so Mitch I agree with you in the sense that I don't think they have the guys in terms of just like what did we say the Jimmy's and Joe's but in terms of X's and O's they're absolutely one of the best teams in this country I think Sonny Dykes is not getting nearly enough credit for what he's been doing at this point in the season and this might be somewhat controversial I think TCU is the team that I trust the most come playoff time And that's not to say that I don't think that they're like, I don't think that they're necessarily the best team, but I mean, Georgia, they slipped up pretty big. They've done this a couple of times where they've come out against far inferior talent and they didn't lose the game, but they didn't look good at all. I mean, they don't forget about that Missouri game throughout the year also. And there's some pretty glaring flaws like we've been talking about with some of these teams For TCU, we can talk about a slow start or the game script being weird or, you know, maybe their players going down, not getting calls. But they still have been finding ways to win just about every single week at this point, despite something going wrong right now. Obviously, that could change. They could drop a game. But at this point, I feel like I know what I have out of TCU. I have a group of guys who are really competitive, who really want to be there, who have completely bought into their system. They know their job. They know what they're supposed to do. they, They do their role well. And when one guy goes down, someone else steps up and maybe that's not going to be good enough to compete with a much better athlete defense like a Georgia. Or maybe they won't be able to keep up with Ohio State or, you know, if USC makes it, they may not be able to keep up with one of them. But at this point, I think I trust them the most to not come out lay a goose egg and also not come out and just roll over. So maybe I'm totally off on this one, but I think I trust TCU the most at this stage of the season.
1: Uh, you know, I, I think I'm excited to see TCU get their shot. At this point, I fully want them in the college football playoff. I really want to see them play whoever it might be in that first round of the playoffs. And then, yeah, we for sure get to see on the highest stage when the lights are brightest, them go ahead and improve their medal. And I'm excited for that. Uh, let's just put in a word for Tennessee. We're, we're getting long in, in the tooth here, so we've got a lot more to cover. But Tennessee gets blown out. In Columbia, South Carolina wins 63-38. Just an egregious showing from Tennessee. Their defense, that was the defense we were waiting for all year long, right? When we previewed the Volunteers, we worried if that defense was going to be able to stop anybody. Yesterday, they gave Spencer Rattler a career performance, 437 yards, five touchdowns for Rattler in a breakout game. Hooker, unfortunately, terraces ACL. His collegiate career is done and with it, the Vol Navy feels like they're sinking in the Tennessee River after that one.
0: Well, and not just the defense we thought would be there the whole time, but this is the Spencer Rattler we thought that we would see when he got recruited to Oklahoma. I mean, this is the guy I thought was going to come in and be that flashy quarterback making throws all over the field. Where has he been his whole college career? I mean, good for him to put up a career day and to put up massive numbers, and good for the Gamecocks to kind of finish off Tennessee, you know, get that little bit of – You know, back and forth rivalry, you know, get that team out of there. It's always kind of nice to ruin someone's season when you're not quite having the year that you're having. Um, And so, you know, good for them. It was a crazy scene on Saturday night. This is all that we're talking about, you know, with college football still mattering, right? These games still matter. I don't care what you want to say about stakes coming off with an expanded playoff. This game mattered to South Carolina and they came out there and they beat them up. So, Good job to South Carolina getting that one. Obviously gutted for Hendon Hooker. Just absolutely devastated for the guy. You were hoping that after this big season he's been having, even though you know maybe they were an outside shot at the playoff and they kind of ruined their chances, he was still going to get to finish with the New Year's Six Bowl. And I'm just gutted that he doesn't get that chance to finish out his season the way he deserves to. But hopefully the Vols can still string something together and finish the season off for him. Having a big year, winning their bowl game, wherever they end up. Again, if they win a New Year's Six Bowl, this is a massive improvement for this program. And Hinton Hooker will have to be a huge stepping stone that you have to acknowledge if we're talking about, you know, Tennessee scaling to the top of the college football mountain over the next couple of years. So, you know, it may not be their year, you know, this year, it's probably over for them now. See you in a New Year's Six Bowl. But, you know, at, at this point, you know, it's good to see them continue improving. And hopefully we all acknowledge that Hinton Hooker had a lot to do with that.
2: And, you know, like like you said on Spencer Rattler, Garrett, just where has this been? Yeah, where is he? For the last couple of years? Because going into this game, he had eight touchdown passes on the season. He had six last night. So it's just insane. This came out of nowhere. We didn't even give this game the time of day. But Spencer Rattler and Shane Beamer certainly did. And just hats off to them for getting this huge upset. Mississippi State, they're giving off big Mississippi State, Purdue, or Oregon State vibes to me under Shane Beamer. Like, they're always going to jump up and get somebody. And I'm excited to see if they can keep this going against Clemson next week because all of a sudden you're looking at the potential for an eight or nine win season for South Carolina, and they're just still climbing that pecking order um, in the SEC East. So, great win for them, very disappointing for Tennessee. And everybody who says that this game would be meaningless – the new AP poll obviously could be completely different from the college football playoff poll, but the uh, Tennessee fell to number nine in the new AP poll. That would take them out of hosting range in a potential new 12-team playoff. So it would still matter. It would still be a huge loss for Tennessee, even in a 12-team format.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree. Uh, and you know, now you've got Joe Milton, who's going to have to come in and play for Tennessee. They've got... Uh... Who do they? They finish with Vanderbilt this next week, don't they? Vandy has to knock off Tennessee in order to be bowl eligible. Am I making that up? I need to. Let me. Check no, you're this. absolutely right. If yeah. Vandy
2: can knock off Tennessee at home with a backup quarterback, Joe Milton is a very capable backup, and he yes. probably should be able to handle Vandy. But thought Anthony Richardson could handle Vandy, and was proven otherwise this that, week. Honestly. So.
1: Honestly, that wasn't even on Anthony Richardson. He threw for 400 yards and yeah. they still lost. That was on the Florida defense in their running game. Yep. Uh, but yeah, just, just heartbreaking. Uh, Hinden Hooker has had such a unique career and for it to end in injury and, and his, you know, lack of ability to play in that new year's six bowl game after turning that program around under Josh Heupel uh, it's, you know, it's just another testament to how life isn't fair to be quite honest. So, Rooting for for Hinden, I, I hope that he gets a shot at the pro level. I know he's a, a grandpa when it comes to age of draft prospect, but some that, someone, that should
2: not matter. Someone like, will like, take him. Yeah, I, I I still if I and I'm obviously not an NFL GM, but I would still take him as the first quarterback off the board. ACLs are very easy to heal from. I've been the most impressed with him this year. I think he has the best tape out there of any of the quarterback prospects coming out.
1: I agree. I think, I think his ceil- I, his ceiling might not be the highest, but his floor sure is. And that's valuable in and of itself in the National Football League. All right, let's mention a couple of contenders. Obviously, Georgia, Ohio State played in closer games than they would have liked. LSU blows out UAB. We'll get to some others as well. But uh, just to, to whip it around, Georgia 16, Kentucky 6. Again, that George or I'm sorry, the Kentucky offense is beyond anemic, and if you touch Will Levis in this NFL draft, I think you're making a mistake. For Georgia, though, we've continued to bring up these questions. Can Stetson Bennett actually lead Georgia and this offense to an explosive total when they play a team like USC? When they play a team like Ohio State that's going to be able to put up points or, least,
2: or LSU in two weeks. Or LSU. I'm really right. concerned about that LSU game.
1: You're right. Where I feel like it's it's easy to just write off that SEC championship game. They didn't win it last year. Alabama beat Georgia last year. So yeah, let's let's even just put all of this in context of two weeks. Georgia's offense continues to sure rise at some points, and they have some really good games. But on the whole, they've been limited this season. Do we think that Georgia is actually a contender to win it all and repeat as number one team in the country?
0: Just because everything is kind of suspect, I think so. You know, like there's not necessarily one team that definitely stands out above the rest. I'm really concerned with that offense. I'm really concerned with the offense. They haven't necessarily looked very good against far inferior competition. Um, And, You know, I don't. I don't think that they're going to be there yet. I think they're at the point of the season where there's not a lot of room to improve. You know, you kind of are what you are at this point. Yeah, I think there's actually a real chance, and I'm not trying to be that guy quite yet. But if things fall the right way, is there a chance they could miss the playoff? Right? Because is a is a one loss Georgia who's not a conference champion definitively better than say, let's say Ohio State being undefeated let's say, or, or Michigan being undefeated, either one of them. And then you have maybe TCU being undefeated, maybe, you know, USC finishes as their one loss conference champion. And then you have to have a real conversation about does the LSU team they just beat deserve to be in, or what about like a one loss? If it was Ohio state or Michigan who loses that game, let's say it's a close loss. That's a better loss than to LSU. Like LSU will be a lower seed than, whichever team wins that game Ohio State or Michigan if that's your only loss you have to start talking about well what were your quality wins I mean yeah they beat Tennessee but they've started to fall off a little bit you know there's I don't know Mississippi State's okay South Carolina's had flashes yeah Yeah, like they've they've had some good wins but I mean Oregon obviously at the beginning of the season but that's definitely changed in terms of what those two teams are I, I don't know that you can make the argument that Georgia is safe to even make the playoff. Now they'll probably put him in because of the fact that they're at one right now. And I don't think you drop from one to five championship week, but man, I don't know that they're necessarily safe depending on how they win or lose that game.
2: It would be inter- really interesting to follow. I think the more concerning thing to me, I think all season long, our take has been, yeah, the offense didn't look pretty, but, still put up 40 points or yeah the offense didn't look pretty but they still dominated um a conference foe on the road we, we've said that quite a few times about georgia and then it finally started to look like they were chinks in the armor yesterday against the kentucky team kentucky was definitely throwing all that they had at this game and it wasn't much but the defense played really really well to hold uh georgia to just 16 but yeah i if you get in a shootout situation against the usc if you get if if LSU is able to put up a couple quick scores in the first half. A lot, of, a lot of concerns. So that's why I think that there's just no one dominant team that you can point to this year. If you were asking me to put money on a team to win the national championship right now, I think I would still put it on Georgia, but I wouldn't be very confident.
1: I kind of agree. I think they're, in, a, in a year where it doesn't feel like there's one dominant elite team, on both sides of the football at the same time in the same game. I think Georgia's still the front runner. That's a good thought experiment though. And we may have to flesh that out in another episode. Could a one loss Georgia, a Georgia team that goes 12 and 0 in the regular season, but loses in the sec championship game. Is there a scenario where they get left out because you've got USC or Clemson plus LSU all to consider. I think that's something that we'll we'll need to certainly talk about more going forward. Uh, Ohio State forty three, Maryland thirty. Maryland certainly gave Ohio State a scare, but still a, a dominant way for Ohio State to close out that game. They win by multiple scores. The offense, not the problem. It's the defense that has, from time to time, shown the ability to give up a lot of yards through the air.
2: Yeah, and that reared its ugly head yesterday. Um, you, You hate to see how Maryland ended this game. I don't know if you guys watched the ending sequence of this one, but Maryland had the ball with, albeit a very small, but a chance to take the lead and drive the field and win this game. And Ohio State just kept letting Maryland hang around, kept letting Maryland hang around, kept letting Maryland hang around. Maryland gets the ball, and you know, the first two plays are a sack and a strip and a defensive touchdown for Ohio State. And Talia Tongavailoa also got hurt on that play. I haven't seen anything on his status. I really hope he's okay going forward for the Terps. But this was a situation, maybe Michigan and Ohio State were both looking ahead to next week. We talk about Michigan could afford to lose. Ohio State certainly could afford to lose with the pedigree that I feel like they have with the committee. So. Maybe they're just looking ahead and maybe they're not fully invested in these games against lesser big 10 opponents the week before, but still it, it just didn't really inspire a ton of confidence, especially like you said on the defensive side of the ball and the offense got a really slow start as well. I, I can't remember I'm looking it up right now to get the actual score, but I think they fell behind. They're down 13 to 10 at halftime. So, Definitely not firing on all cylinders on offense for all this game, but you know that they're going to get Michigan their best shot next week, and they're going to look a lot better.
0: Yeah, my big concern for Ohio State, yeah, it's partially defensive because obviously they've let some big numbers up this year to I don't think very many very good teams. I, I'm a little bit concerned about their offensive showing as well. Um, like you said, Trey, kind of started slow, but if you just kind of look at the stat sheet, not a lot of big numbers yesterday – Uh, For anybody on this team, I think it was CJ Stroud completed 60% for 241. Um, You had, I'm trying to just scroll through right now, you know, Henderson had 19 rushing. Hayden had 146, so he definitely ran the ball well, but you know, you start to look at some of the, the receiving totals, and I mean, Ibuka had 82, Harrison Jr. had 68, Fleming had another 30, but man, just not a whole lot going on in terms of the numbers you want to see out of Ohio State, and for for better or worse, Ohio State is a numbers team, right? They're supposed to go out there, put up big, flashy numbers, score a bunch of points, and put it to rest that they're fine. If it's not for the fact that there's that weird, again, like you were saying, Andre, the weird, like, I don't know if it's a fumble or an interception technically that that was, but the weird sort of strip sack, force of throw that gets popped up straight in the air, this game probably ends a three-point game which was closer than the margin of error that Michigan had when they played them earlier. And we gave them a little bit of crap for only beating them by like seven or something like that. But that could have been what that was, if not for just a weird little play. So, you know, I've said this a bunch the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure that Ohio state's actually better than Michigan. I think CJ Stroud, once he gets off schedule is suspect. I think once he's not necessarily within what they want to do on offense, as soon as things start to break down, he has troubles figuring out what to do next And I think that Michigan can exploit some of that. There's concerns, certainly, to be at. And that's on both sides, right? If Michigan can't throw a quorum out there, it doesn't matter how bad CJ Stroud is when he gets blitzed, right? But, you know, there's some real concerns for both teams, which I think makes this game coming up a lot of fun when you're just talking about, well, there's some real weaknesses that you could take advantage of. And I do think both teams line up to play each other very well.
1: Uh, LSU and Clemson both blow out their respective opponents, UAB and Miami, uh, both teams feel like they're on similar levels right now, and that may be a shot at UAB, the way that Miami has played this year. Georgia Tech, though, absolutely eviscerated our hearts. UNC drops one of the, the worst performances given the situation at all time. They lose 21-17 to a bad Georgia Tech team that hypothetically could make a bowl game. They have to beat, you know, Georgia. Uh, so. Take for that what you well. Will, that's a but... scenario
0: where Georgia misses the playoff
1: for sure. <laughs> that, that, that would complete that cycle. But uh Trey, I I know we were just unbelievably disappointed. Of all the teams to hold Drake May and this offense down, a head coachless Georgia Tech, really?
2: Not only a head coachless Georgia Tech, but a Georgia Tech on their third string quarterback, and nope. by the end of the game and without their best weapon on offense, was the one that held and ultimately won out against North Carolina. So I honestly didn't tune into this game until the very end. I saw the score at the very beginning. UNC went up 17-0 and then just didn't score again. Like, the Georgia Tech defense just held them scoreless the rest of the game. There's only one turnover. It really just wasn't pretty. It was really uncharacteristic of what we've come to know from North Carolina this year. So right when I went to bat for you, right when I just stood up for you so many times, this is how you were paying me Tar Heels. Just pooping the bed against Georgia tech. Now I will say for the yellow jackets, they might have their coach situation salt. I mean, the guy that's running the interim, he was on the staff before, obviously, but they've had a great run here d- beating a couple of really good teams. Uh, and beating a couple teams down the stretch that they probably shouldn't have beaten in Pitt and Duke and um maybe maybe they could beat Virginia Tech yeah but North Carolina's especially so I don't know maybe they have something working in Atlanta finally yeah Brent K is doing a good job
0: look this Georgia Tech team was 123rd in points per game oh boy uh, and they beat UNC. uh, Ah, that's tough. I, in the show doc, I just put the Tyra Banks meme where she's screaming, I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? That's kind of how I feel for the Tar Heels. We were talking about, you know, Drake may busting into the playoff, possibly go upset Clemson one loss conference champ. And yeah, here you go. We were all rooting for you and this is what you do. So thanks UNC. We'll see you next year. Tar Heels.
1: Yeah. Just so disappointing. Ah. Um, They are going to go to the ACC championship game, which speaking of conference races, let's go down two games really to mention here. Oregon uh, 20, Utah 17. Utah eliminated from the Pac-12 race. Oregon still has not clinched their spot in the Pac-12 championship against USC because Washington won that head-to-head game. Oregon must beat Oregon State this week in order to get in. Uh, any very quick thoughts about that game? I, I will say it does look like Oregon is certainly the front runner to go to the Rose Bowl, which in year one of a new head coach to me would be a resounding success.
0: Yeah, I think Oregon, as long as they win, their only path is towards the Rose Bowl. I mean, they could you know lose to USC and still get the Rose Bowl bid as being sort of that second team out of the Pac-12, if USC were to make the playoff, right? So I think they got a massive road to the Rose Bowl, which would be huge for them in first year under Dan Lanning. I got to say, I picked Dan Lanning as the best hire in the first podcast we ever did. I feel pretty good about that. Obviously, I know Lincoln Riley's doing some very good things at USC, but... He's done a very good job taking a program that, you know, had some problems. And I think we've all seen maybe Cristobal had more to do with that when we thought, uh, but, you know, he's been a great hire for them year one, you know, tough schedule for them as well. I think without that out of conference with Georgia, they have the better resume over USC with a real chance at the playoff. We're talking about one loss teams here. If they don't play Georgia week one and they just play some who cares, or maybe like sort of a middle power five team that they can kind of rough up on they'd have the better resume over USC and they'd be the team we're talking about as the playoff team, if they can win out. So, I mean, great job for them. You know, I guess kind of rough, rough thing to schedule Georgia for your first week, but good job for them turning things around since then uh, and really getting things going against a good Utah team. I think, you know, Trey and I both had winning this game and, you know, we both thought that they were going to come in there and put up a real good effort. They held them to 17, which is their lowest point total in a while. So uh, good job to Oregon. They found a different way to win. you got to just go hats off to Dan Lanning and that crew.
2: Yeah, and hats off to winning a really sloppy game on offense. It was three turnovers for both teams, and Oregon won with their defense, and that's a new way that they've shown that they can win. So hats off to them for that as well.
1: Woo! Glad I finally got a pick to go right, going against the grain there. Um, So shout out the Oregon Ducks for making me look good. Good for you,
0: Mitch.
1: Kansas State beats West Virginia 48-31. They're a win away in the... What is it? The uh, I've forgotten what they call their rivalry. Uh, their their game against Kansas. Sunflower Cup. That's what it is. Uh, I knew it was a Sunflower State. Just couldn't remember if it was a trophy, if it was a cup, what 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 it was. But Kansas State with a win will head to Dallas to take on TCU. They do have to win, otherwise they need the Longhorns to lose. Texas will take on Baylor uh, in the season finale. So because Texas did beat Kansas State, they don't uh, they don't have the tiebreaker should they lose. So that's why that spot's not locked up. Only interesting note from this game against West Virginia, it was 35-19 at the end of the first quarter. They were scoring points like it was going out of style, and then all of a sudden, the defenses kind of s- decided to come to play after that.
2: Yeah, and 41-25 at halftime. It, just insane offensive explosion in the first half, and then a combined 14 points in the second half, and it was all in the fourth quarter because, of course... Of
0: course, why not? I gotta say we're so close to a purple out at Jerry World for the Big Twelve Championship game. I'm so pumped for that. If that happens, I'm buying tickets guaranteed. Yeah, have we
2: have we looked into tickets? Do we need? If to... it's a
0: purple out, there will be plenty oh, yeah. available. And I, <laughs> I I mean, I'm not trying no. to shame either team. TCU doesn't have a big fan base. They're a tiny school. There's going to be tickets available. But every
2: TCU fan alive is going to want to go to that game. Yeah, yeah that
0: still may not fill their half of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I trying think... to throw shade. I love TCU. They're a great team, great fan base. Uh, you know, I got a bunch of TCU people at you know where I work, so yeah, I, I love it. Fantastic, great. No shade towards TCU. Not a very big fan base, though. It, I want to say, though, I got Kansas State just about – if they can lock this up against Kansas, who they haven't looked very good in the last part of the season – I got Kansas State right. I picked them to go to the Big 12 championship game at the beginning of the season. I'm feeling pretty good about the fact that I picked them to be my darling as well. They smashed their over, just like Duke. So don't worry about that top team, though. I don't want to talk about them. But no matter how this goes this next week, it's been great rooting for the Wildcats this year. Super pumped for them. Great season. I'm very, very excited for them going forward.
1: Uh, the only other conference race to really make note of is the Big Ten West. Um, of course, We've called them the Shadow Realm all season long. Garrett started with that, and we have had plenty of opportunity to run with it. Iowa and Purdue uh, are your two leading contenders to make it out of the West. Iowa uh, can just salt this away with a win over Nebraska, but Purdue, they need a win over Indiana and a loss from Iowa to the Huskers. Now, Nebraska almost beat Wisconsin. They still couldn't find a way. To get that done so i don't necessarily like the chances for purdue to make it i think iowa is going to weasel their way into this but then again the shadow realm has been known no to shot. let all craziness go so hey we may be talking about a spoiler maker big 10 west championship at the end of next week
0: not that either both teams are gonna lose it's the shadow realm mitch you haven't learned anything yet come on Iowa's gonna get smoked purdue's gonna get smoked we're going to end up, who's still even alive in this race?
2: Is there a way that Northwestern be- can pull this thing out? It would be Northwestern Minnesota. is eliminated, it would happened, right? but Boo. Iowa and Purdue are sitting there at five and three. And then Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin are all four and four. Oh, yeah. Minnesota and Wisconsin play each other. Illinois plays Northwestern. So Illinois. you could conceivably have a four-way tie at the end of this next week and i have no idea how that sorts out so what i'm rooting for is i here's who you need to root for if you love chaos like i do root for just go ahead and put a parlay in as well because if this happens you might as well win some money on it (laughs) nebraska northwestern and um indiana if all three of those teams win next week we just have complete and utter chaos
1: that so, sounds like a miserable rooting interest weekend does wisconsin
2: still have a chance to make
0: it in or are they completely they out? Of yeah it? no
2: that as far as i know because wisconsin and minnesota play each other they're both sitting so, there four and four if we
0: have those five let's just real quick who's gonna win this division i'm gonna go ahead and long shot wisconsin just because it's that <laughs> it's that division so i'm gonna long shot it wisconsin will show up in Indianapolis.
2: I need to look at Wisconsin's division record because I'm sure that works in the tiebreaker Sure, somehow. sure. But just the overall conference record, there's a uh, maybe a small chance that there's four teams at five and four, but there's a chance. Um,
1: I think I, it would be I Illinois, trust. right? I, I think it would be Illinois. If somehow Purdue and Iowa both lose, I think it's the fighting Illini.
2: Probably. I, I think the simplest. I know it's the Shadow Realm, but I think we get an actual pretty chill week from the Shadow Realm next week. Nebraska is they they were in can- Cancun after the Dublin debacle. So <laughs> That's I, I think Nebraska is not even going to put up any fight next week, and Iowa's going to be the sacrificial lamb against – the they can- they're the winner of Ohio State and Michigan.
1: Nebraska can't afford to go to Cancun. They're still playing paying Scott Frost buyout. So <laughs> they've, they've got to pony it up for another coach entirely. Yeah, they could um, go to Galveston. I, oh goodness, then I. Not much to look forward to. The Wouldn't next wish season. that on anybody. Yeah, if that's where they spend their holiday. Um, all right. Well, we're getting really long in this episode. So let's just do some one liner reactions to the chaos that happened elsewhere. Bedlam was bedlam once again. Oklahoma scores 28 points in the first quarter. They don't score again in the rest of the game, but they win 28 13. I know Spencer Sanders is beyond beat up, and this team is the walking wounded, but oh my gosh, they looked bad against Oklahoma yesterday.
2: Yeah, it's it's really sad to see when you think about where Oklahoma State was. They were a legit playoff contender before yeah. this injury bug hit. Yeah. and Sad to see, and you hope that they can find a bright spot on the way out of this season, but yeah, I know they really wanted this Oklahoma game to kind of salvage it.
0: Right. And he just, he again, like you said, beyond injured. He's, he gave it all, but he was really forcing it in that game. Uh, I know that Oklahoma State fans, it just got deflated off the bat. So good job for Oklahoma pulling this one off. But yeah, just really hated for Spencer Sanders to go out like this.
1: We all had a good chuckle at Arkansas 42 Ole Miss 27. Arkansas was blowing the doors off the Rebels until garbage time. And I tell you what, like, I, I love to root for great stories for teams that are building for programs that are on the come up. But I tell you what, if you are overly arrogant and cocky, I root for your downfall so quickly. And for me, Lane Kiffin quickly became went from like quirky head coach with a lot of momentum to one of the most unlikable people in all of college football with just the way that he treats people around him. And now the rumors that he's bailing on Ole Miss to go to Auburn Great. Can't wait to see how he fails there too. So maybe that's a personal vendetta that I have against him, but gosh, he just ticks me off. And for me, seeing Ole Miss get absolutely housed by a struggling Arkansas team, I loved it.
0: Totally agree with you there. Did you guys see Arkansas fans were chanting Auburn in the stands during that yes. game, that is hilarious. Absolutely love that. I also don't know. Did you guys see the offensive stat for Ole Miss on that one? Seven hundred and three yards, and they lost.
2: Seven hundred yards. Yeah. How do
0: you and- put up seven hundred yards in a game? I don't know how that happened. I've never. You've seen great offense. Seven hundred yards in a game. You lose this game. And I, I'm yeah. convincingly,
1: convincingly. Yeah, yeah, it, it
0: wasn't close. It wasn't like they lost
2: 63 62 or something like that. It was forty two to six at the end. Of they the got quarter. smoked. It yep. was forty two to six at the end of the third quarter, and yeah, just the red zone efficiency. There were three turnovers. The red zone efficiency was awful, and yeah, it, it, I, I, it couldn't happen to a better guy for me too. I, Judkins
0: I, I, and Zach Evans both rushed for more than two hundred yards.
1: That's disgusting. Oh um Yeah. So anyway, good for Arkansas. Navy beats UCF. What the heck? Gus Malzahn. I I texted you guys as soon as that went final. That was Auburn's issue with Gus Malzahn. Not that he doesn't know how to build a program, but there are always just at least one game a year when that should be a win by 30 situation and you lose. And that's, I think, what ultimately got Malzahn run out of Auburn it costs UCF a locked chance at the, the Cotton Bowl. Now that's once again back up in the air, Tulane, Coastal, Cincinnati, even UTSA all get to throw their hat in the ring there.
0: Another fun stat I think I saw on this one, Navy, Army, and Air Force, I think all combined for zero pass completions, and they all three won their games.
2: That's amazing. <laughs> they, I love
0: that. I think they went a com – I'd have to check this. I think they went a combined 0 for 4 passing the football in their three games – and they all combined for something like 970 yards rushing mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. all won their game. So good job to Navy for winning this one. But, yeah, you're right. Man, Melza, he just has issues towards the end of the year.
1: Mo Ibrahim ran for 39 carries, 263 yards, and a touchdown only to lose the Floyd of Rosedale to Iowa 13-10. to uh, I think, Trey, maybe it was you. One of you guys put this in the note, the, the devastating yeah. fumble that he had, man, when he coughed that ball up in, in the middle of that drive to take the lead, they were inside the red zone, were they not?
2: They were they inside were, the 10.
1: Yeah, they were knocking on the door.
2: It was like a, it, it was like an 85-yard drive that they had put together at that point. started deep in their own territory, and they were just doing their thing, running the play clock down, really taking the air out of the ball. And, yeah, it, it was a fumble on that drive, and then they get the ball back on three and out because they're playing against Kirk Ferentz. And <laughs> immediately the backup quarterback throws an interception. So yeah, just, just a tough, tough end of the season with all these injuries for the Gophers and hopefully they can win their second rivalry game in a row next week. But I, I'm not looking forward to that. If I'm a Shadow
0: Round boys. This is
2: what happens. Yeah. I watched way more of that game than I should have.
1: <laughs> listen, listen, late night, especially around Thanksgiving, watching the big 10 West, like that's honestly my happy place to slug it out. Low-scoring game. It's probably cold and snowy. I, I love watching those games. Uh, Boise State wins over Wyoming 20-17. to A crazy sequence to end that game. But Boise State locks up their chance to play for a conference title against Fresno State. And then, uh, Trey, as you noted, UTSA blows Rice out 41-7. UTSA has a chance to be the group of five, group of six, depending on how you look at it, volunteer to go to the Cotton Bowl.
2: Yeah, I'm really interested to see if they can crack the top 25 poll because there's still going to be some carnage in the American. There's still Tulane and Cincinnati have to play each other this week, and you have to think the loser of that one is eliminated. So why not UTSA? Just give them the short drive up 35 up to Jerry World for the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, that way they can be the ones to get
0: chopped in half by whatever Power 5 team away.
2: G5 has a pretty decent record. Yeah. Field. How, how
0: do you see two again?
2: Oh, wait, sorry. We're just, we'll keep moving <laughs> along.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see. I would love to see Jeff Trailer continue to, to build something down there at UTSA, yeah. but he
0: is doing a good job.
1: Well, all right guys, let's wrap it there. Week 12, a lot of chaos left and right week 13 is rivalry weekend. One of the best weeks of college football, no matter what sport you like it, it all happens around Turkey day and we could not be more excited programming note we will have our preview episode out wednesday morning as opposed to thursday so instead of waiting till it comes out on thanksgiving if you want to you know bring it out as you drive to grandma's house awesome but we want everyone to have the chance to listen to it to have the information be relevant so we'll hit record on tuesday night or listen with your grandma or or listen to gra- with grandma yeah, and hear on. the preview of the big game. Uh but that will be out Wednesday morning so uh if you are looking for it a day early rejoice it will be available. But for Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Until next time. So long everybody.